हरे कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे हरे आई कंटिन्यू ऑन द टॉपिक्स दैट आई वाज स्पीकिंग ऑन येस्टरडे इन जामनगर इन समरी येस्टरडे आई स्पोक अबाउट Vrindavan living in Vrindavan and not living in Vrindavan <laughs> anyway, I'll continue on these topics <clears throat> so uh clearly among places for executing krishna conscious vrindavan is the best When we say Vrindavan, we should know that Sri Gaura Mandala Bhumi Jeeva Jane Chintamani Tara Hoy Raja Bhumi Bash. Shila Prabhupada translates this statement of Narottam Dash Thakur that whoever knows the land of Gaura Mandala, Gaura Mandala, or West Bengal, the land of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes. Which particularly means Navadvip Dham, although Gauramandal is much bigger than just not even from our uh, <coughs> material vision. It's much bigger than Navadvip Dham, but that is non-different from Brinda. Whoever whoever understands Narottamda says whoever understands the place of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes and the place of Krishna's pastimes in Brindavan to be non. different then such a person lives in vrindavan so among places the best for remembering krishna is vrindavan <coughs> uh as i said yesterday a pure devotee of krishna actually were taking from the purport by shila propad and shila bhakti siddhant saraswati that for a pure devotee uh his devotional service is not dependent on any condition it's a haituki when we speak of a haituki bhakti uh the among ourselves when we speak about this one uh, the general understanding that we have it means that without any personal motive there's no hetu there's no cause it's not caused by any personal desire uh it's only the only desire is to serve krishna but uh, another meaning is that it's not dependent upon any external circumstances it's not that uh, that merges with the meaning of apratihata which shila propa generally translates as uh, without any stoppage in other words someone who's engaged in krishna consciousness 24 hours a day they are considered to be performing apratihata bhakti but a haituki bhakti also means that whatever time place or circumstance a devotee is in he serves krishna with full enthusiasm and dedication it's not that he has to go to vrindavan to perform devotional service but he takes vrindavan with him tomara hridaye shada govinda bishram govinda is always within the heart 
of a devotee. Of course, Govinda is always in everyone's heart, but he is fully manifested to a devotee. Premanjana churita bhakti vilo chanena santa sadaiva hridiyeshu vilo kayanti. Devotee always perceives yang shyama sundaram achintyaguna swarupam, the eternal form of Krishna. Uh, with the eternal transcendental form of Krishna within his heart. So, uh, a pure devotee for him, in one sense, there's no need to go to Vrindavan. Just like Gadatha Pandit, we read yesterday, said to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, there's no need for you to go, but anywhere you go just to teach others. So, for others, there is a need to go because they will get inspiration. Vrindavan is the best place for remembering Krishna because within the whole of the Vraja Mandala we'll find there are so many places connected to Krishna. We can visit the Kaliya Harad, the place where Krishna subdued the Kaliya <coughs> demon. We can visit Gokul within Vraja Mandala. Of course there are two Gokuls in Vraja Mandala. You know that? One is the one accepted by Goryas and another is the one accepted by the Vallabh Sampradaya. Uh, we can visit the Vangshivat, Dhira Samira, Keshi Ghat. These are all places connected with Krishna's pastimes. And we'll remember this. Oh, here Krishna killed the Keshi demon. Here Krishna called the gopis with his flute. This is Nandagram, the place of Nanda Maharaj where Krishna lived. Obviously, he lived with his father. This is Varshana, the place of Varshana Rani, Radharani. So, it should be natural to remember Krishna in a place where Krishna's pastimes are manifested. Of course, uh, much of Vrindavan was not manifested. It wasn't known at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's associates, the six Goswamis, they were charged, they were given the responsibility by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. One of the things he told Rupa and Sanatan to do in Vrindavan was Lupta Tirtha Udha, to find the lost holy places of Krishna's pastimes and to restore them as such, because people didn't know. Even Radha Kunda, the most uh, important place within the whole universe, described in Padma Purana, the, and at, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu went to the Vrindavan area, no one knew what was Radha Kunda, where was Radha Kunda. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu found some puddle, practically just an overgrown puddle, in a field and he bathed there. And people wonder, why, why is he bathing in this puddle? It's, it's hardly fit to bathe in. Uh, so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he saw this is Radha Kund. And later on, uh, Raghunath Das Goswami had it, had the pond uh, expanded. And uh, over the years, various ashrams have come up and now there's a whole village around there. So, uh, in this way, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his associates, they rediscovered Vrindavan. The, the, 
uh, one of the uh, major figures in finding the places. Finding the places means the, the Krishna's pastimes are described in Srimad Bhagavatam and other scriptures. Where exactly those places are were not known. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's associates found out many of them. One of the most prominent uh, devotees in doing so was a devotee called Narayana Bhatta Goswami. But very little is mentioned, somehow or other very little is mentioned of him in uh, Gorya literature. So uh, it's another research point why that should be. So uh, in this way, by renovating the holy places, developing temples and places of, of, for, of facilities and ashrams for devotees to stay in and perform bhajan, in this way the Vrindavan area has developed so that if you walk in Vrindavan, we'll hear the sound of kirtan, if you walk from one down the street, you may hear one kirtan, and then you walk further, the sound of the kirtan dies away, and then you, another one you're coming up close to, you can hear that. Actually, that may not be only in Vrindavan. I remember many years ago I was in Shilet, which is a town in the no- presently situated in the northeast of Bangladesh, during, during Kartik. So there are many Vaishnav temples there. And apart from that, there are are many people who practice in their homes. So especially during Kartik, I I would go back to the ashram I was staying in at night and I would hear in one kirtan after another, just like that, going on. In Vrindavan, if you just happen to walk around the back streets in the evening, you'll find that there may be three, four people in a room chanting together like that. It may not be a very big arrangement, but that that tendency is there. People like to chant. In fact, that was the, that was the culture everywhere. I remember, again, years ago, I was walking around in Shambazar or Bhagbazar in Calcutta in the morning, is in Calcutta, supposed to be a big materialistic city. And uh, in the morning around uh, the time of dawn, we'd hear so many ding, 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 and then incense coming out of the windows, and people are performing their morning puja. That was some years ago. Nowadays, if they're even up at that time, they probably have the TV on. And on the TV also... uh, they may have early in the morning some religious discourse, just like uh, I heard in one time in Vrindavan, maybe two years ago, I heard some what sounded like a religious discourse someone had on TV, and I looked in to see what it was, and there was that horrible guy with the, that, what's his name, Nir Asharam, something like that. So... That tendency to hear some religious discourse was there, but hearing from him, it's like going to a rakshasi for taking a rakshasi as your mother. 
She'll feed just like Putana wanted to feed poison to Krishna in the name of being a benefactor. So in the same way, these sadhus, mayavadis, demons, they pretend to be uh, well-wishers of the people and saintly persons, but actually they're demons who hate Krishna and by their mispropaganda want to kill Krishna. Although the result is that they themselves are killed by Krishna. And anyone who listens to them, their spiritual life is also destroyed. So, yeah, that brings us to another point then about how even though Vrindavan is supposed to be the best place to remember Krishna, uh, it may not be also. Just like I said yesterday, one of my godbrothers told me that if I take his disciples to Vrindavan, I should be with them all the time. Because he considered Vrindavan a very dangerous place. And another godbrother said it's, uh, it's like walking through a fish market. So many people calling out, here, take this, take this, buy this fish. There's so many people will call you, here, come, come, come and follow me. What you're doing is not, what you're doing, either it's not right or it's, but I've got something better for you. Ha, ha, ha. Like these children's stories in the Western world of witches who seduce children and then eat them. So these bogus sadhus, they, they offer some candy. Here, take some cheap Krishna praying and just give you a bunch of poison. So, uh, Vrindavan can be a very dangerous place. It's a very attractive place, no doubt. Devotees want to see the places of Krishna's pastimes. Those who are pure devotees, their pastimes are always going in the, on in their heart. Nevertheless, it's stated about Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that even though he was always in uh, ecstasy, his it's described by Srila Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had three uh, states of consciousness, external, internal, and in-between. When he was in external consciousness, didn't mean that he forgot Krishna, but he would interact with the world in what people might consider a normal way. He would, for instance, he would meet Sarvabhom Bhattacharya. At one point he was discussing philosophy with him. He would go for a, his midday ablutions and so on. In his internal state, he completely forgot himself. This is described uh, especially in the Antyalila of Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita and in summary in the beginning of the uh, Madhya Lila and is one of the reasons why Chaitanya Charitamrita is considered the most important biography of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu even more than Sri Chaitanya Bhagavat because it describes his uh, sp special ecstasies the Radha Bhava Duty Suvalitam Nomi Krishna Swarupam the, that his form is he is Krishna but he has become golden, being overwhelmed by the, by the fact that he's Krishna having accepted the personage 
of Radharani. So when Krishna and Radha come together, is he going to be black or is he going to be golden? He has to be golden because Radha is more powerful than Krishna. And her bhav is more powerful also. Sometimes Krishna would, sometimes Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would exhibit the mood of Krishna. But uh, especially in Puri and especially at night when he was alone with uh, Ramananda Rai and Sarup Damada, then his internal ecstasies, he completely forgot the world around him. Uh, sometimes he would be dancing in the gardens and, and remembering one leela after another, one leela after another of Krishna and Swarup Damada would sing various songs to complement and uh, enhance Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mood. So uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was especially in the in the mood of Radha and especially the mood of Radha at the time when Uddhava came back to came to Vrindavan, not came back, being sent by Krishna, bring, carrying a message from Krishna. So that description of the Brahmara Gita is the considered the most uh, intimate of the uh, feelings expressed by the devotees in all of Bhagavatam. There are so many feelings expressed by so many devotees, but Radha's mad lamentation in the Brahmara Gita is considered the most uh, exalted. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was particularly in that mood, in his internal ecstasy, and then there was uh, his in-between, when he was trying to be normal according to worldly standards, but having a hard time to control his ecstasy. So that he was in generally in three states, but all the states were of uh, complete ecstasy. Uh, the when he was in his internal consciousness, and that was the most exalted. But then when he came to Mathura, it, when he was on the way to when he was on the way to Mathura Vrindavan, his ecstasy increased thousands and thousands of times, just thinking, "I'm going." There. And when he reached Mathura, it increased even many more thousands of times. And when he actually entered Vrindavan, then it was at the topmost level, so that his after one month there, his assistant. Balabhadra Bhattacharya said, please, we have to leave now. Don't stay here anymore. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu acquiesced. Balabhadra Bhattacharya gave two reasons. He said that there are so many people harassing me for invitations for lunch. Uh, and, that's, and another thing is that you, you know, you're just in too much ecstasy and you know, I can't look after you. you know, anytime you could just jump in the Yamuna and drown and I think we'd better go. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu agreed. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he was always in the ecstasy of thinking of Vrindavan. Anyahridaimon moramon Vrindavan. That Prabhupada quoted that in the purport we were reading yesterday. The others, their heart is their mind. But for me, my mind is Vrindavan. So he was uh, always in that ecstasy. Nevertheless, his ecstasy increased 
many, many thousands and thousands upon times upon actually entering Vrindavan. So at that time there were no uh, ashrams developed or the, the holy places were practically... Of course, all of Vrindavan is a holy place, but there were particular sites associated with Krishna's pastimes. But they weren't there, they weren't developed. But nevertheless, just the very, just the fact of being in Vrindavan, and of course Chaitanya Mahaprabhu can see everything there, um, that increased his ecstasy so many times over. So even if one doesn't uh, even without the, even apart from the ashrams that are built, just the very atmosphere of Vrindavan, because it is non-different from Krishna. It is spiritually enlivening, enlivening in Krishna consciousness. <coughs> so the ashrams, they may be developed in other places also, and that may be considered non-different from Vrindavan. Just like Prabhupada said, new Vrindavan, that I was discussing yesterday, is non-different because the atmosphere is re being reproduced, so that of Vrindavan, and that is the intention in all of the temples that are built in various places, previously in India, now all over the world, the idea is to reproduce that atmosphere of Vrindavan and certainly, especially if the temple is maintained nicely with a Krishna conscious atmosphere, then uh, upon entering the temple, people feel that the atmosphere is different. It's not, it shouldn't be that inside the temple and outside the temple the atmosphere should be more or less the same. That outside people are greedy, interested in money and materialistic and you go inside the temple and you see someone sitting with their feet up reading the newspaper and if you ask them for some spiritual information just like someone told me once they got initiated in some sampradaya and then they asked their guru a question some spiritual question, why are you asking me questions? He was annoyed was, you know what do you want? I gave you, I gave you initiation. He didn't say it. He was, he was annoyed that there should be any expectation on his part other than to give blessings and accept donations. That's his total function. So there should be a, a difference. I personally experienced this very strongly when I first entered one of Srila Prabhupada's temples. That was Bhaktivedanta Manor. And even though my contact with Krishna consciousness up to that time had just been not even watching very carefully, but having seen on TV some two, three years, must have been about two years previously, something about the devotees, and then having read and understood very little of one volume of Krishna book. And that was all. But just entering the temple, I was, I was uh, immediately struck by the spiritual atmosphere. I particularly remember just not inside the temple grounds but going inside the first of all there's the shoe room I, the spiritual atmosphere didn't strike me there but then when I went inside and then immediately the strong incense smell from the temple in the corridor and so many beautiful pictures of Krishna 
and uh, devotees and uh, many devotees and, and uh, a striking spiritual atmosphere. So even without all the yeah so yeah so one point is to develop that atmosphere, the uh, spiritual atmosphere. Every temple should uh, have that. that. That it's not something you can legislate. But if the devotees are all united in service to Krishna, they understand that we're here to serve Krishna, and always there's. Kirtan and discussion of Krishna Katha and various activities for glorifying Krishna, then certainly the atmosphere will be non-different from Vrindavan. Thus, new Vrindavan, Prabhupada made new Vrindavan, new Mayapur, and there are so many, new Gokul, and throughout the world there are various new Naimish Aranya, they, they devotees called different projects around these, the world by these names. Uh, so these places are supposed to be non-different from the, the originals. Still there is a difference. There is some difference, nevertheless. Uh, that because Vrindavan is the eternal dham of Krishna. And it doesn't... It, although it may appear to be part of this material world... At the time of dissolution, the holy dham doesn't become destroyed along with the rest of the material world. Whereas, even those places where the deities have been worshipped in, they are also subject to destruction. But nevertheless, they're still very important places. Back to London, <laughs> uh, the original or the first large deities of Radha Krishna installed by Srila Prabhupada uh, were in London at the temple at Sevenbury Place. So later that the temple moved about a kilometer, a little less than a kilometer, actually to an even better location. But still devotees, when they go past that Place they think, oh, that that very place temple. They think, oh, that's a holy. At least I'm sure I do. There's a very special holy place. And now it's just another building in the, in a London street. But the fact that Krishna was worshipped there for several years, installed there by Srila Prabhupada, and there was such a uh, an amazing spiritual atmosphere that was known to be unique even in the ISKCON world. That was... Uh, it, it makes it it's still a holy place. Now, of course, that uh, first st storefront that Srila Prabhupada had, matchless gifts in 2nd Avenue in New York, is now again an ISKCON center. But for many years it wasn't. It was it was a rented place, and but still devotees would come because Prabhupada had started his movement there. Uh, devotees would come, offer obeisances, and people saying, "You know what's going on here?" You know? I mean, they might understand it if it was a temple that people are offering obeisances, but just bowing down on a New York sidewalk with nothing in particular, no particular reason to do so, they couldn't understand. But 
But the very fact that Prabhupada started his movement there and there was so much chanting going on there means that it remains spiritually surcharged and you can you can go there and even there are no deities there there are programs about three times a week and the rest of the time it's closed but the the spiritual atmosphere is so strong and I'm sure it must have been like that even when it wasn't in Iskon's possession. I mean, after Prabhupada had been there. So devotees, they are holy places and they create holy places. They, they make the holy places holy. That uh, Yudhishthya Maharaj said to Vidura, Bhavadvidha Bhagavatas Tirta Bhuta Swayam Prabhu Tirta Kuravanti Tirtani Swantas Tenagata he said that devotees of your caliber are holy places. Vidur had just come from visiting various holy places, but Yudhishthira said that you are a holy place. In one sense, there was no reason for Vidur to visit holy places because he himself is a, is a Tirta. Tirta literally means a ford. That means a place in a river where you can cross over. It's not very deep and you can walk through or a horse at least can walk through and you can go on its back. So Tirta means a ford. It means a place where you can easily cross over the river. So Tirta means a holy place where you can easily cross over the material world and go to... It's, it's a place for going out of this material world. So Yudhishthya said to Vidura that you are a holy place and you make the holy places into holy places. If the, if the sadhus are not there, then it's not a holy place. Even the atmosphere might be there, just like if we go to Sevenberry Place. Now, uh, well, the devotees will consider it a holy place, but there'll be probably all the four regulated principles, maybe not gambling. They're, they're all being broken there and it appears to be just like completely a mundane place. So devotees make the holy places holy. This is a very important point to understand, even going to Vrindavan. Because although the atmosphere is naturally spiritual and conducive to Krishna consciousness, if we're not in association with devotees, we can be misled. I remember uh, I received Brahminical initiation from Srila Prabhupada in 1976 and at, in that initiation ceremony it was a very big initiation ceremony one of the persons who was meant to be initiated was from Northern Ireland he had been living in the Sevenberry Place Temple in London for some time. He was supposed to be initiated by Srila Prabhupada. He was there in Vrindavan, but he didn't turn up at the initiation ceremony. And I asked devotees, well, what happened to him? And I was told that he was found the night before having illicit sex. He was never seen again after that. He was in Vrindavan. He was supposed to be getting initiated, but he fell down. <laughs> so even in Vrindavan 
as I mentioned yesterday, there's prostitution. Now the children are here. Anyway, they'll hear about these things sooner or later, no doubt, if they haven't heard about it already. So, uh, yeah, the uh, and I don't know about now, but it became quite obvious at one time that Iskon in Vrindavan was like a, you know, it's like a marriage, it's an open marriage bureau or something that all young men looking for young women devotees and vice versa, they would go there and festive. That's known in the West also, the churches, it used to be, nowadays they don't even bother getting married, but the churches would be one of the reasons that young men and women would go to church would be an opportunity to meet each other. Those in the days when it was more restricted. So in the church, they'd be looking at each other and trying to get to know each other a little bit like that. So they had a different purpose for going to the church. So that may be in a holy place also. Therefore... It is necessary to be guided when one goes to a holy place. In many ways they can be the most dangerous places. Because in a materialistic city the distinction between Krishna consciousness and Maya is very clear. In Vrindavan it's not because everything seems to be Krishna conscious and it seems that well Whatever you do, you can't be outside of Krishna consciousness because the whole atmosphere is saturated with Krishna consciousness. That's why we used to hear that, well, in Vrindavan, you can eat anything. You can go to any shop and eat anything you like because it's all prasadam. In Vrindavan, everything's prasadam. So, maybe that's true. Well, in another sense, it's true that even outside Vrindavan, everything's prasadam because all food is Krishna's mercy. But... Still, it makes a difference that even in Vrindavan, between that which is cooked by someone because it's their business and they want to get some money from you, and uh, that's cooked with actual love for Krishna by devotees, it makes a difference. For those who are on the completely pure platform, nothing makes a difference. They can eat anything. They can do anything and they won't be distracted from their Krishna consciousness. But generally they act in what would be considered an ideal way. There's no question of them not being ideal anyway. But they act in an ideal way to set an example for others. Now, uh, as Vrindavan is saturated with Krishna consciousness uh, and even materialistic people, when they go there, they often become inspired by Krishna consciousness. Then, why do we find so many materialistic people in Vrindavan? I, I spoke about that a little bit yesterday. I want to speak some more about that. Um, well, uh, one reason is that it's... Uh, Good opportunity, that I spoke yesterday, good opportunity to make easy money by pretending to be religious and pious. The devotees tend to be very simple-hearted and easy to cheat. 
uh, I was speaking yesterday about the shopkeepers in Loi Bazaar. Now, it's not necessarily that they're all that they're just like totally materialistic demons. They're also devotees of sorts. But they have a, a very clear and strong motive that they want to make money, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, that's what shopkeepers do, right? And they maintain their families by doing so. Uh, but at the same time, we should distinguish between someone who is wholly motivated by service to Krishna. They have no desire other than to serve Krishna. And those who do have other motives. So the shopkeepers in Lai Bazaar, no doubt they're also devotees of sorts. Uh, I'm very fortunate to be living in Vrindavan, we can say that. Uh, but we can't consider, if we say, well, they're Vrajavasis, all right, they're Vrajavasis, but we, should, we can't consider them to be Vrajavasis on the level of Prabhupada. It's not that we're just going to take instruction from anyone who happens to be living in Vrindavan, although to live in Vrindavan is pious, but we should be, it's not that we just take instruction from anyone. We should be very careful who we take instruction from. In, in Mayapur, the, the, most of the population are Muslims, the local population. So they're also, they also like Nimai. But we're not going to take instruction from them on how to execute our spiritual life. And for that matter, most of the local Hindus uh, who live... Well, the prominent there is the Ghosh, the Ghosh community in, in Mayapur. And recently, only about three years ago, I think, they built the first temple in Mayapur, which is not to a... Of course, there's a small temple to uh, Simanta Devi, this uh, Durga, as she manifested herself in the pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I heard that our Iskand devotees are making a prominent temple of Durga now at the, in Mayapur, in, not in Mayapur, in Rajapur. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur installed the two Shiva Lingas in the yoga pit behind. Nimai's birthplace. But the Goshes, they build a big opulent marble temple of this uh, Anukul Thakur, some completely bogus Mayavadi's so-called incarnation of God. <coughs> so you're going to take instruction from them? They're also living in the Dham, but they're completely off from the actual understanding of Krishna consciousness. So, uh, materialistic people may be attracted to the Dham. Uh, some people who are particularly demoniac may be attracted to the Dham. Because Krishna is all attractive. And he attracts people in different ways. People who are, people who are not very devotional and not very demoniac they may not take much interest in Krishna, but people who are very demoniac, they take a lot of interest in Krishna because they hate him. People who are just not very much this way or that way, they may not be, they're not interested in Krishna unless a devotee tries to awaken their interest. But the demons, 
they they really want to see Krishna with the idea that we'll kill him. And so we find that in Vrindavan during Krishna's pastime, so many demons were attracted to Krishna. One after another they came to Vrindavan and they, they were very eager to see Krishna with the idea that we, we will kill him. They thought about Krishna a lot, all the time. Kangsa was always thinking of Krishna, but he was a demon. So Bhaktisiddhanta Sarthakur, when people used to talk to him about the Vrajvasis and how they're all great devotees, he would often point out that, well, uh, Baka, Putana, Agha, the famous family, two brothers and one sister, they were also in Vrindavan. But their intention was not to serve Krishna or to please Krishna, but to kill Krishna. So we find in Vrindavan also there are so many Mayavadis. Their philosophy is to philosophically kill Krishna. They're demons. They're living in Vrindavan. You may say they're Vrajavasis. But if we study their philosophy, we can understand that they are demons. So it may be that holy places, they attract many unholy people. And many unholy things go on in holy places. I was told this uh, in South India, you see these ayapa, so-called bhaktas. So they go around to different holy places. And so I'm told, because they go around men only. Because women from the age of maturation to the age until their menopause is completely finished. They're not allowed to engage in this ayapa yatra. So men they go around for 40 days and no women and they're not supposed to eat meat or drink or smoke which, which means most of them do that otherwise or have any relations with women but just to uh, help them because it's a difficult vow. So I'm told in many of the holy places they visit, there are many, that word beginning with P I used before. <laughs> there are many prostitutes at the holy places because they have good business. Men who are habituated to eating meat and drinking wine and all of a sudden they're going to become sadhus. It's not so easy. So just to make their just to make their vow a little easier, then there's certain women are there also. So be careful. How did that devotee who was supposed to be initiated? How did I mean how did he manage to fall down in Vrindavan? You say it's pretty difficult, huh? For a Westerner but I guess someone, Maya knew he had some desire and she managed to fulfill it. She, she helped him to fulfill it. He had the chance to be initiated by Prabhupada. Never seen again. So unfortunate. When I was initiated, the first initiation in England, there were a few devotees initiated with me at the same time. One of them, he'd been in the temple for about six months, had... Uh, wife and child he was initiated and after that he was never seen again by the wife or child or 
anyone else within our society. He's initiated, gone. <laughs> so we have to be very careful. Yeah, so... Yeah, all right, I'll finish that. Any questions? Yeah. Please speak somewhat loudly. After years of being in kirtans which are amplified far too loud and people smashing these wampas in your ears, my hearing is becoming a little weak. It'll happen to you too, by the way. Mayavadis are in the dharma breaking all rules. Not necessarily. Many Mayavadis, they're, they're sadhus in some ways. They're, I mean, uh, at least not openly, they don't have connections with women. Uh, I, I would think most of the Mayavadis, they don't have secret connections with women. I don't think so. You'd hear about it more if it was true. And uh, they don't eat meat. And some of them, they follow some spiritual life. They get up early in the morning and chant some mantras. There are serious sadhus also. Most of them drink tea in North India. But in other ways, they may be more pious than the average person. It's not necessarily that they're all breaking the principles. If they were all breaking the principles in a gross way, like eating meat and having illicit relations with women, then no one would even give them any bhiksha. No one would give them any... They wouldn't be accepted as sadhus. So it's not necessarily that they're all breaking the principles. What happens to them if they, if they do break the principles, you mean? In Vrindavan, well, they... Be, those who behave sinfully in Vrindavan, in their next life, they take birth as a dog or a hog or a monkey or a turtle in Vrindavan. And then after that, they get liberated to the spiritual world. So you might think, that's good, let me stay in Vrindavan. <laughs> and enjoy myself. Why bother following all these principles? But there's... One thing is there's no guarantee, just like we've heard of instances of some man going to live in Vrindavan, wants to die there, so he lives there, he retires, he lives there for 15, 20 years, then in the end he gets very sick and his relatives come and take him to a hospital and he dies in Agra, outside of Mathura Mandal. So one thing is there's no guarantee. Another thing, it's not bhakti to think that well, how can, how can I enjoy myself and do as little devotional service as possible and still go to the spiritual world? It's not bhakti. Prabhupada said that, well, you can just live in Vrindavan and, and then go back to Godhead. But Prabhupada said, that is not glorious. It's better to preach. Instead of just, just thinking what, how I can get my own salvation... If we have bhakti, we should try to serve Krishna to the best of our capacity. Not think, how, how can I get the most that I... How can I get what I want from Krishna without doing what he wants? That's not a devotional mood. There are levels of bhakti also. So, 
if we cultivate now, then we can become more advanced and more close to Krishna. Whereas if we just think, well, I'm not, I want to go to the spiritual world, but I don't really, I'm not that much interested in serving, then you might end up as a tree in Vrindavan, which is also a, it's an exalted position, but it's, there's not so much opportunity to serve as in other forms. So we have to, the aim should be to cultivate our service mood more and more and more. Not just somehow I'll get there. Yeah, anything else? Prajavasi? Dealing, Prabhupada said, with the Vrajavasis, he said, don't be very close to them and don't be offensive to them either. Don't be very close and don't just be offer respect and don't go very close. Of course, if some of them, some of them are very, uh, you know, some of them may be, it, it depends on the individual also. But in general, if they, yeah, it depends on the individual, we have to see. But we should be careful. Yeah, in management, you have to deal with them in so many ways. But that's like with anywhere, with materialistic people, if you're dealing in management, you may have to deal with the local MLA and this and that. So you're nice to them, you deal with them respectfully as much as you need to, but you don't, you don't develop relationships with them on their terms. If they're willing to interact on the level that is conducive to our own spiritual advancement, then we become more intimate with them. Otherwise not. Our principle is asat sangatyag. So although the Vrajvasis, we can't exactly call them asat sangha, but if their behavior is asat, then we don't want to be very close to them. And again, we should know who the real Vrajvasis are. Someone who's distributing Srila Prabhupada's books on the street in America is uh, much more conducive. He may have been born in a family of meat eaters, but his, his association is much more conducive for our spiritual advancement than someone who's born in Vrindavan, but uh, you know, they spend their life watching the TV. And I mean, actually... One devotee who lived there told me, I mean, Vrindavan, some of the worst, really bad things, very bad things going on, all kind, you know. Cheating, murdering, incest, child abuse, I mean, all kinds of things go on. We can't say that that association is good. The connection with Prabhupada is more valuable for us. Prabhupada gives us, and his followers, they give us practical guidance so that we can advance. Just like someone came to me and uh, told me he was doing some eye camp in 
in Varshana or somewhere said, oh yeah, okay, so what's the result of that? All these people, they're going to watch TV now. So I mean, what's the actual benefit? The better they don't see because they, they don't know how to use their eyes. So Prabhupada, he, he had the real eye camp. Ajnana timirandhasya, jnananjana shalakaya, chakshurin militam yena tasmai shri guravenamaha. He gave us the spiritual knowledge by which we can see everything in relation to Krishna. So we have no desire for watching nonsense TV. Yeah, watch this. So this idea will serve the Vrajavasis. Well, all right, that's good, but you should know who the real Vrajavasis are and how to serve them. The best, best, Prabhupada wanted to establish that Krishna Balaram Mandir to revive the spiritual life of Vrindavan. So the best way we can serve the Vrajavasis is to preach to them. They won't listen because they think we're already Vrajavasis. But they need to... They need to hear what Prabhupada has to say. They need to hear Bhagavad Gita as it is. Just like everyone else in the world needs to hear. How can the message of Prabhupada reach to the common class of the society? That is the whole mission of Prabhupada, to do that. The, uh, the, the uh, best way is by distributing Srila Prabhupada's books mass distribution of his books, holding festivals, performing Harinam, these are the basic activities of our society. I often have difficulty in understanding the shloka Yeyata Mang Papadyante. Well, that's a whole different topic which I won't get into now. That, that could be the subject of another class. What difficulty you have in understanding is also not stated. Okay, we'll finish there. Probably I have a class, if you look, I have so many uh, lectures on the CDs, so probably one's on that verse. If you tell me what the specific difficulty is, if you write it down, I'll speak on it on another day. And you can get it through the internet. These are, these are topics we should discuss. But we can't do everything all at once. 